Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. One goal to win the title. It's as simple as that. Could it happen? Balotelli. Aguero. Farrell's coming down the straightway and he's going to be attacked by by Deborah Maskell and Mo Farrell's got the double he's the Olympic champion again two to win it's gone through, he's got to go to the keeper's end he's got it England have won the World Cup by the barest of margins by the barest of all margins Hello and welcome to another edition of the Barest of Margins podcast with me, Simon Hughes. This is the show that delves deeper into the world of sport to discover how athletes and sports players derive marginal gains from the specialist trainers and scientists they work with or the innovative techniques or strategies they use that enable them to, hopefully, triumph over their opponents and try to realise their dreams. Today, we're looking at that glorious relationship between cricket and food. Lunches and teas are of course a huge part of the game. I mean, what other sport stops every so often so the players and spectators can get stuck into a large meal? For some cricket people, it's their favourite bit. It's certainly one of mine. With my home ground at Lord's, I was spoilt with the array of main courses and desserts we were offered at lunch, huge portions of chicken chasseur, lamb cutlets, roast beef and Yorkshire puddings and all the trimmings and everyone was gorging themselves. And then there was the spread of jam and cream scones, iced cakes, macaroons and other fancies that were wielding at tea, which rivalled Fortnum and Mason. Times have changed, of course, at professional level anyway. And now England employ a nutritionist to make sure the players are eating the right things, and enough of it too. But it's reassuring to hear that in the England dressing room it's not all just protein shakes and granola bars. The bowlers, in particular, are encouraged to pig out. But what are the best things for a cricketer to eat? How much? And when? What should they avoid? And can they still have some treats, please? All will be revealed by today's guests, 
Phil Scott, England's lead fitness performance coach, and Emma Gardner, the team's resident nutritionist. And the first thing I asked them was what are their daily responsibilities? So job description, I guess, as a, uh, the S&C, physical performance coach, uh, and nutritionist, we fit into a, a bigger, wider team fundamentally. There's, there's, as I guess people are aware, backroom staff has grown over a number of years. So we've got doc, physio, psych. We've obviously feed into the coaches and captains as well. And my personal responsibilities um, is, is prepping the players to, I guess, get ready to, to play a test match and then be able to repeat that. Uh, so getting them aerobically fit, um, strong enough to cope with the demands and robust enough to cope with those demands. Um, getting them as fast as we can as well from that speed point of view and then that repeatability so I guess this is where my role our roles start to broaden out a bit as well in terms of in looking at recovery um, between games and it starts to become multidisciplinary um, so uh, within that we, we I personally um, along with our other SNC Rob Arman will look at the, the programs that will be done alongside um, the physios um, and, and getting specific around exactly what these players need um, and that's yeah that's I guess day to day away from away from the game um, is what what I get up to. So I have been with uh, England men since 2017 um, which seems like a, a long time now but in my, my role kind of you know got runs parallel to what Phil just described there um, in terms of essentially in simple terms I help them with what they should be eating to underpin their training and obviously their performance, their cricket performance. Um, but I suppose, you know, my, my day-to-day um, role goes beyond that really. So nutrition is a discipline which aligns to a lot of other disciplines. So it might be, for example, working with the physios if a player is rehabbing and what they should be eating there to speed up their recovery. It might be working with the doctor when we travel to, you know, countries where we may have a higher prevalence of illness to try and minimise that. It might be working with psychology around food when we're living in bubbles, as you know, as per the last two years. Um, you know, so it, it really depends. But I suppose my black and white job on paper is to prepare them nutritionally for the demands similar to what Phil said of, of test cricket and one day cricket um, T20s and, and ensure that they're fueled well enough to perform and that they recover. So that, as we said, they're able to repeat that. Because what, what we've come to figure, particularly in the last five years, is the game of cricket has really transitioned and is quite physically demanding. Um, and we, we now have research to, to confirm that. And therefore, you know, whereas they were probably once seen as players who stood in a field for several hours and didn't do very much, we now know, you know, there is a lot physically that they have to do and sustain. And nutrition, therefore, plays a big part in how we get them able to, to sustain that performance. I wonder if people who play amateur cricket will be listening to this with dismay because they'll be thinking, you know, I love my steak and kidney pudding at the club for lunch and, you know, a big, like, load of cakes and scones and things for tea. Actually, I mean, before we kind of get into the detail of it, can you still enjoy food as a cricketer, as a, as a professional cricketer? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think as well, Simon, like, you know, these guys tour for 285 days of the year. So to expect them to eat, you know, the perception is that they eat perfectly 285 days a year is unrealistic. We know that they don't. Um, so no, I, I think 
the reality is, you know, it's them understanding what they need as an athlete to perform, but then also, you know, understanding that they're a human being who wants to enjoy food like any person does and I want them to. And I think another aspect of my job with these guys, especially over the last five years, has been educating them around lifestyle and health as well and them finding a balance between, you know, regardless of whether an athlete or not, what is just a decent diet and when do they pick their opportunities to actually relax and eat a bit of rubbish or whatever they want to eat. Um, and, and I want them to find that balance. I, I don't have, I would like to say that the players would say I have a fair expectation of what uh, we encourage them to do, but they have choice like anybody. <laughs> we don't make it so strict that they don't have choice. Um, it's, it's up to them to make the educational choice which is best for what they need. Phil, you've looked into this. I know we, we talked about this before, you know, in the past, probably before you uh, got teamed up with Emma. So have you got some sort of research or, you know, data that you could share about uh, the processes of how to find what is the best thing to, to eat for a cricketer? To work out what they need, you've got to work out what they're doing. So, and that's where I guess Emma and I have collaborated what we believe as well. Um, through, over the last few years, I've, we've collected a lot of information about what they actually do on the field uh, between test match one days and T20s. And it's been quite staggering and mind-blowing and also very informative for myself. But once you give the players their information about themselves, it, most reactions have been, wow, I didn't realise I quite do that. So since we've been able to give the information, um, let, let me give you an example. So for a test match, if, if a bowler was to bowl an average or bowl 40 overs, the average amount of distance that will be covered is around 50k for that, that test match. Which is, a, which is a lot of distance. Um, that's excluding the two training days, which is probably around another seven to 10K of, of training. So if you're looking at around 60K a week, um, whilst running in at 24, 25Ks now for a bowler and, um, and 17 hours of fielding on your feet and um, you know, uh, numerous sprints as well to the boundary in between the wickets, that's a lot of energy. And our first step, I guess, was to kind of show the guys that you do a serious amount of work. If you aren't putting the right fuel into you, then you're not, it's like, you know, you're going to run out of petrol, basically. You're going to run out of fuel. So, um, and I think, I think once we had that information, they were open to it. And then that's when Emma's come in, in terms of the actual detail of, um, of what they need and why and when. And that has been the big difference because I, I take away um, just the just the, the performance side on the field, but even training. Where we've got to in recent years um, is, I believe, a very good level um, of athleticism. But it got to the point where I think we uh, we needed to, they need to be upskilled nutritionally to go to that next level. Because if and we said to them, didn't we? If we push you any harder, we're going to break you. You're ready to be pushed harder physically but you need to be fueled, otherwise you're not gonna sustain it and we can guarantee you an injury. And that's when, in the last couple of years, they've been excellent. I think we've taken real steps forward. But the details is, is over to Emma, really, from that point. I'm, I'm gone then, Emma, what is the detail? Can you kind of be a bit more specific about what is good and what is yeah. bad for these, let's say, for a fast bowler then? Yeah, so I, so I think the first thing, you know, when we presented to them what Phil just described there in terms of the physical demands and you know, putting in, we actually put in front of them, you will run an average of 50 kilometres, you will do this, and they were surprised. 
But then we said, you know, how many of you back in 2017, 2018, and I'll, I'll confess, I said, how many of you eat breakfast? And some of them wouldn't even eat breakfast before going into a test match, which, you know, we were like, how is any person going to perform optimally, regardless of whether you're probably an athlete or you, you're not an athlete, if you don't even have any, as Phil rightly said, we almost use the car analogy with them, any fuel in your tank. Um, so we, we just started to piece together how, almost like what it should be and how much it should be. And I think the biggest learning I've had with these guys is the majority of them under eat, particularly our fast bowlers for their physical outputs. So we've had to work a huge amount on breakfast. Um, and then, you know, kind of coming back to your steak and, pie, steak and ale pie and a cake, it's looking at the composition of that meal, what is optimal. At the end of the day, we see test cricket as an endurance event. For an endurance event, I'm sure if you speak to other people on this podcast, they're going to say, what fuel do you need? They're going to say carbohydrate as an example. Well, a cake and a steak and ale pie, as lovely as they are, are not predominantly carbohydrate. So therefore we've had to, you know, what I've had to do is essentially do simple swaps with the guys to go at breakfast rather than having hash brown sausage and bacon which is all predominantly protein and fat can we put some decent carbohydrate options in there please and we've kind of nudged them across to what they need and when and you know i would say the main two areas we've worked on are the amount that they eat and also the regularity of that eating so rather than just eating breakfast and then nothing throughout the day like a car we're like you need to top up your fuel so if they're bowling all day we so often used to see that players would drop off in speeds in the final session of the day, for example, or that's the time when people feel fatigued. And naturally that will happen if they're not, if they don't have energy there available to do that. And probably more importantly, you know, we've probably emphasised the recovery aspect of well as well, because we all know that if you want to win a series or if you want to win a World Cup, it's the team who are still winning at the end <laughs> that are going to win, essentially. And it's all well and good being prepared for one-off matches, but what we've tried to instill in the lads is we want you to be able to sustain your performance in match nine of a World Cup, not just match one and two and three, because the, the, you know, the goal is at the end, isn't it? Um, and that's probably where, where we've worked. So what's nice is, as Phil said, we've got genuine data now to show what they actually do. And I suppose our gauge of are we successful is simple things. Are they maintaining their bowling speeds in the last session of the day? Are they less sore on day four or five of a test match? Are they able to sustain their physical outputs on match nine of a World Cup? That's the tangible bit for us to measure, not just necessarily win-loss, which obviously we'd love to attribute it to that, but we would like to think that contributes to our percentage chances of winning, of course, if, if we know that the guys are physically ready and they're fueled, able to deliver what we need them to. So just to, to bore into the detail a bit more, I mean, let's say you've got Stuart Broad about to play a test match. I know every individual has sort of different preferences, but what would be the ideal breakfast for him, given he might be bowling 20 overs in the day? Generally, for our fast bowlers, it would comprise something along the lines of this. A large bowl of porridge with a banana, say, sliced into it and, a, and some honey on top or some, some kind of fruit. Um, two or three slices of toast with some eggs um, and probably some kind of protein. Some, some of the guys do like a bacon or, or a smoked salmon, something like that. And then the really, really good ones, uh, that would be minimum. We'd then get them to the, to the ground. So they'd eat that back at the hotel. We get them to the ground and we top them up again. 
So generally we tend to do something a bit easier, like a smoothie, which might be milk-based with some banana blitzed in, uh, some more, you know, more fruit. And we, cause again, like, you know, a test match often starts at 11. My rule to these guys is they shouldn't go longer than three hours without eating something. So most would have already had the breakfast at eight, nine o'clock. And the other thing that I found fascinating when I started working in cricket is even the warm up can be quite physically demanding, uh, which again, I've learned from Phil. So you've got to think that that fuel tank is always being depleted. Uh, so we top them up again at 11 o'clock and then obviously they play through to one and we just keep topping them up through the day. But, you know, for context, a lot of our guys, when I started with them, it was either we don't eat breakfast or it was I have one slice of toast with some sausage, egg and beans and they're having about a fifth of what they actually need there. So we've just re-educated them on what is actually enough. And don't get me wrong, Simon, it depends on who's doing what. So a batter might not have as much as that as a fast bowler and so on, but that's an education. And the most difficult thing about cricket is you could prepare a batter, for example, to bat for several hours and he could get out first bowl. <laughs> so you can fuel them. But it's then what they do after that, obviously depending on where they are in the game. Um, a fast bowler is much easier because it's quite linear. We kind of know what they're going to do. We know the expectation, whereas a batter can be completely dependent. Similarly to a spinner, you might play a spinner and then the wicket, we don't end up playing them because, you know, whatever happens in the game. So it, we have to be quite flexible and adaptable in our approach with them. It's interesting actually what you say about... Um topping them up even before play starts after the hotel breakfast because I always used to be slightly cynical of the likes of Mike Gatting who I played with at, at Lords uh, having a bacon sandwich at 10 o'clock having had a massive fry up at 7 8 o'clock and you know sort of thinking god what is he doing having but in a way he was on the right lines maybe the bacon sandwich wasn't ideal but he was on the right lines about you know constantly sort of topping himself up um what about Caffeine. Um, I, the runner that I've spent some time with, Stephen Scullion, the runner from Ireland, he's absolutely passionate about his coffee before he goes out training. So where do you sit on that? Yeah, it, caffeine is a really interesting supplement for cricket. And I think we, almost my description of how we use it would vary depending on the format. So, you know, the, the thing with test cricket is it's an extremely long day. So... You can, be, you can be quite tactical with when we would use caffeine. For example, the last session of the day when maybe they're starting to feel a bit more fatigued. But then the reality is the later that you utilize that caffeine, then the longer it's technically within the system and then that could affect sleep. So, and likewise, you could argue in a, in a format like T20, when you want to get you know, a stimulant in them to, because they want to you know, hit it as hard as they can and it's a quick fire power type game, caffeine is very very high use within within our, our dressing room particularly in t20 cricket but the problem we have there is a lot of the games are played at night time so in summary to your question simon yeah we absolutely use caffeine but we've had to be ed give education to players on when they use it how they use it and the timing of when they use it as well because at the end of the day if you know if we move into recovery recovery is important for them sleep's important for them um the last thing I would say, though, is with cricket, there's always a coffee machine somewhere and there's a lot of boredom drinking coffee. So we, you know, we've, we found with some of the guys, they were having seven, eight, nine coffees a day just because we're batting and they're not batting and they're just bored. Um, and again, there's an education around that because you can build up a sensitivity to, to caffeine if you habitually have it a lot. 
So you almost lose the sensitivity of the caffeine when you then start having it. So it, it's all had to be an education, but it, yeah, it, it makes sense to use caffeine um, in cricket. As I said, it's, but we use it very differently depending on the format. Now, I, I call this podcast the barest of margins and appropriately, Phil and Emma, you were both involved with the England team when you won the World Cup in 2019 by the barest of margins. Um, ben Stokes, kind of his endurance and sort of strength and uh, power, managing to, his, I suppose his resilience in that game was incredible. How much could you put that down to, to what he ate? I'll pass to Phil in a minute because there's absolutely no doubt the physical training, and I'll let Phil talk about that, that we did was, he did and Phil did was phenomenal. But do you know what? He's, a, he's quite a good example of a journey that we've been on nutritionally. And, you know, to give some context, and I'm sure he would be happy for me to share earlier in the stages of that World Cup, um, we worked a lot on um, his eating because we were finding, because his outputs were so high, and going back to the example I used before, um, you know, players, not just him, would regularly cramp. Um, and many, many people in sport attribute cramp to dehydration or lack of fluid. And these guys never, they, they're used to playing in very warm conditions. They drink a lot. And for me, we've done specific testing to look at, you know, could it be linked to that? And something, you know, my gut feeling, no pun intended, was it's not hydration that's the issue in these guys. It's the fact their muscles, I'm going to put this in very basic terms, have got nothing in them and are therefore craving, you know, energy again. And early on in one of the group stage matches, he'd come off and he was cramping quite early on, as were some of the other guys. And, and I said, I remember it vividly because Phil said to me, Stops, he's cramping. And I looked at his plate and I said, well, that's obvious why. And he, it was a funny moment, wasn't it? Because he said, well, what do you mean, Em? And I said, you've, you're not eating enough carbohydrate for your outputs. You, you know, you're beasting yourself, as he always does, as does in a fantastic way for us. But you're not putting the energy in to match your output. And from that moment, he actually started to properly, properly fuel himself. And... When the guys won the World Cup at the end, it's one, don't get me wrong, Simon, it's one minor component in a lot of variables in why people get to that stage. But we both said to each other, if we hadn't have had that conversation four, five, six matches before, who knows what the outcome would have been? Because we needed him to understand that, and right to, to that very last super over, he fueled himself. He came off and he fueled in those very few minutes. Phil was throwing a you know a carbohydrate down his neck, and you know he went on a real journey in many many areas. But the nutritional component was definitely an aspect of it. And I'm keen for Phil to speak in a second around. He didn't get there by chance physically either. There was a massive component of that. But I think it's quite satisfying for us as a physical prep team to go. We had a tangible example there of. And, and the guys saw that and went, wow, okay. Sometimes we can speak a good game and we can talk about science, but they have to experience it to believe it. And I think that was a big pivotal moment for us with our lads because they actually realised that you don't be able to physically give that in a World Cup final without a lot of work and prior planning before. 
and it doesn't happen by chance. Um, yes, you have a lot of things on your side for that to happen, but he um, he did exactly what we asked him to do, and fortunately we got the outcome that we want. But I'll pass to Phil to talk about his physical side. So I think to take you a, a, a one step further back, I think uh, beginning of 2018, Joss um, Butler, we had a conversation, again, a similar conversation, but from a physical training point of view and a nutritional point of view, and Joss said, I'm going for it, I'm all in. And, and particularly where I think, I don't know if you were in Sri Lanka at the end of that year, and you would see Joss and Stokesy particularly push themselves really hard before the game, mid-game, um, and they were starting to learn, both of them, and show the rest of the team that you can train that hard, that consistently, um, through a series. The, some of the, the power outputs um, that we had from Joss at the beginning of the season of 2018 and our summer to the end, he was peaking, I remember, at Headingley in our last game of the, se- of the, of the series at the end of the summer. And he, he, he'd blown away, it was a beautiful story for us or for me, because he'd blown away all the myths that you, you can't progress through a season and that you can only maintain. Um, and these guys, particularly Joss and Stokes, he led, people started to follow and they, yeah, they learned, they learned that they could actually train hard in the gym, on the tra- on, uh, around the field in terms of their aerobic uh, development and their speed but also it start to complement their cricket and they can start to feel it. And as Em said, and I'm a big believer of, I don't think you understand things until you've felt it and until you put yourself in that position. And although you can accept that, yeah, fueling's really important and being strong is really important, until you felt that ball go a bit harder, a bit faster, or you've got to that boundary a bit quicker and you've gone, oh, wow, I've got some, I've got some more in me. You don't, you don't believe it. And that's okay, but it, it, it takes someone to, make those steps to, to get to that point um, and I think there's, there's yeah a couple of pivotal moments there that they started to believe and and I, I thankfully we had those conversations and thankfully they they took them on um, and absolutely you've got to have we had some serious luck um, at points but you know they they put themselves in that position to to take advantage of that luck I guess Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. How easy is it to implement these ideas to sportsmen or women who are sort of reared on pleasurable food as cricket is associated with? Um, in simple terms, extremely difficult. Uh, I think, you know... If I'm tr- truly honest, I started in 2017. It took me three years, realistically, um, to 
to start to change the belief system, to challenge the culture a little bit of cricket, um, which was quite uncomfortable for some people because, as you said, Simon, it's steeped in history. You know, the Lord's Lunch is a classic Lord's Lunch and people don't want to change that. And, you know, we had to essentially go, what do these guys, what does it take to win? And how, and therefore, how do we put pillars in place to help them win? And that involved having some uncomfortable conversations in their environment. You know, I, I essentially took them on a journey of optimise the environment was like my number one objective. So change the environment to nudge them to make better choices, which was quite uncomfortable. And then obviously optimise their athleticism, which we've kind of just talked about. And then I had a couple of other objectives which came later. But I would say it took me three years to get them to a position where they were ready to not listen. They were always wanting to listen, but to believe it. And as Phil said, and to, and, and also as well, Simon, like we're a big team, you know, it's not just the players, it's also the coaches and it's the support staff have to buy into that. And they had to build, you know, a bit of a trust and a respect in my role to go, yeah, actually Em's doing a good job and he's helping us contribute to, win to winning, hopefully. But it, in simple terms, it's really challenging, really, really mm. challenging. And also, nutrition is so personal to every person who walks this earth um, because food instills emotions in us and it's a pleasurable thing to do. And the last thing you want these guys to, to feel like they are is robots that, you know, or cars where you just fill them up and let them run and that's it. Um, so, and especially, as I said, in a sport like cricket, where we play for hours on end, we tour for weeks and months on end. Food is a comfort to a lot of people, staff and players. So, you know, there's times when these guys go, um, I don't want to eat that, I want to eat that. And I'm like, okay, that's fine, that's fine. But let's just build a nice foundation for you to perform because then those little speed bumps or those blowouts become less impactful to them. And I, I feel like now we've got a nice balance with these guys where they're either on it and they know they're on it, they're performing, but then when they're away from it, they relax. And that's not as costly to us as probably historically it was before. How do you prove it works? It's, it's kind of what we came back to before. We knew physically what they needed to achieve. And our, our marker is, could they physically achieve that? And could they physically su sustain that? So, you know, a really good example is we, will, we have data, Phil collects all the GPS data. We can look at has that bowler maintained his speed, his distance covered, uh, have they fielded, you know, on their average? Um, are we doing as well in match five, test five, as we are in match one? Um, physically, where are they? We measure them. Obviously, we do diagnostic fitness testing with them. Do they maintain themselves? And historically as an example we used to see them really yo-yo up and down so they'd like make improvements through the summer then we'd hit the period before the winter and we'd fly back up the graph and regress and then we'd crash back down again and that was unsustainable but also the inconsistency made us more vulnerable to injury and illness and that was another presentation we did to the guys we stood in front of them and went guys this is your graph and this is what we do with and we were literally up and down up and down up and down can we create more consistency and they have so that's another measure for us of of consistency in those markers but I suppose ultimately you know to give a more probably more practical example can a batter go in and sustain himself for several hours in heat in Sri Lanka as an example last year we've never seen more of our lads be able to do that um, in those conditions and when we put them to the extremes of heat of humidity 
um, and we asked them to bat, for example, for several hours. In the past, we often saw you know, players get out in the 50s or, and they wouldn't necessarily back up to the 100s. And you know, now so often we see our lads and they come off at tea and they're like, I'm feeling good. And they're 100 and odd not out, hopefully. And you know, in the past, we probably had guys going, I'm really struggling now. Um, so it's hard to measure. It's a very difficult subject, nutrition and physical, uh, you know, S&T to measure. But I think we've got a lot of good examples to show. Hopefully we've made some good gains with these guys. My favourite uh, biscuits in, in Lidl's dressing room were always custard creams. And they were knocking around with burb- chocolate bourbons and stuff. And, you know, when you were having a bit of a sort of low moment, you just grab a quick, quick bourbon. So what do you have sort of knocking around the dressing room now to A, deter that sort of biscuit addiction and B, that's actually healthy? <laughs> yeah. So Lords, I think, you know, I, I love my meetings with Lords because we've known each other now for five years. And I remember my first one of my first meetings with them was is there any chance I could change the tea break? And honestly, I, they looked at me like, no, you're gone. <laughs> That's steeped in history. And I think what's been nice is we've had to build a mutual respect and we haven't completely wiped it out. It was something I was really conscious of in my first year. If I could have quite easily gone in and gone, remove that, remove that. But I knew I would have lost people. And Again, it's the emotional connection to it. And, and the, lad, the lads love Lords. They, they look forward, for example, to the lunch there. They look forward to the tea break. And therefore we've had to take them, as I said, on a bit of a journey and a transition to, to nudge them in a better direction, but not completely go cold turkey, we're gonna remove it. So as an example, you know, we will still have a dessert on there at lunch, but now there's an alternative dessert so they can make the choice. Um, so there might be your sticky toffee pudding, but there's, you know, a better option there. And similarly in the dressing room, you know, rather than it being cakes or biscuits is a good example. We educate the lads on like, if you like a chocolate bar, here's a better version of that chocolate bar. Or if you like a biscuit, here's a better version of that biscuit. Or if you like sweets, here's some popcorn, you know. And also on day five, we relax and, you know, I say to Lords, bring that in at tea break, you know, or after the game, because, you know, they've worked hard, you want them to enjoy it. But I think in summary, what we've done is we've created choice and we've educated them so they have that choice to make. And don't get me wrong, some of the lads still walk past me with their sticky toffee pudding at lunch and smile at me and go, I can't not, em. and I'm like, that's fine, that's fine. But, you know, I remember on the World Cup final, actually, the day before is probably the only time I've put a message on the group that did say, lads, if there's ever a time to think about that dessert on the Lord's lunch, it's tomorrow. Because you do not want to be, as we said, we went to a super over, you do not want to be lethargic and full (coughs) and full of fat when you need to run quickly. (laughs) And I think the difference now is the lads not only respect that, but they know why. I think before they just, you know, we said we've been on a massive journey of education with them. I think um, the other the other thing we've I've noticed is since the guys have taken on board the quality, the quantity, and the timing of the food, they're not craving rubbish. <laughs> Naturally, it's it's the, the the natural. I think if anyone start anyone out there at all has ever eaten well, those cravings for rubbish at snack time or uh, at a certain moments start to disappear. And since these guys have been consistent with that over the last X number of years. We, as we, as Em says, they've always got the choice, but 90% of the time they're now making the, the right choice, but also because they want to. And they, 
I guess physiologically don't need that. I don't have that craving for the rubbish. And, that, and then they get the bonus of knowing that that's actually gonna benefit me on the field. So away from, and I think that's where we see the consistency when they've gone away um, from us and there are the, those options, they become habits, which suddenly this uh, that slightly more positive habit cycle becomes, gets bigger and bigger and bigger and, and, and they come back in good shape, better shape sometimes than they even left us because they're free to make those choices themselves. So once the ball starts rolling, it starts moving slowly, but I think it picks up a lot of pace, like a snowball, really. Yeah. The old snowball effect. I think, um, sorry. Well, I see it there. We're starting to see that particularly. Yeah, and I just said, I think the true test is when they're away from us now and they maybe go and play a county game somewhere. And if the food isn't very good, they'll often complain about that. So they'll go, well, how are we meant to perform with it? You know, or, or they might make comment that it's not up to what they want it to be. And I think, to be fair, Simon, that's the true test of... When, when there is often rubbish on a menu, they now will comment on that, you know, because they go, is this optimal for what we need? Um, and they're making that choice and they're making those decisions. And, and I think that's satisfying for me because I go, you're not just actually going, woohoo, there's rubbish on here today. It's going, is this actually optimal for what I need as a player? Which is good. Mark Wood has um, portrayed a nice image of during that World Cup final of um, when, I think it was when <laughs> there was that six ricocheted off Stokes is bat and the dressing room went mad and Jason Roy I think was either on the dressing room table or close to it and sort of banged it and all these cashew nuts and raisins were sort of scattered in all directions so Woody says when he came back in having been run out he was sort of treading on all these sort of bits of food <laughs> that had been knocked over but that sounds like you know at least it was healthy food I suppose. <laughs> Yeah, corks flying everywhere. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, yeah, it, it, it's changed. It has changed. But it's funny, you know, the, the wider game of cricket, there are still traditions. And it's funny, I still, you know, regularly, when we do things like this, you speak about, you know, club cricket and so on. And I get sent pictures sometimes, like, going, what do you think of this tea break? <laughs> it's, you know, deep fried tea. It almost looks like a children's tea party. And I'm like, well, that's fine, though, because if that's what you want it to be, then so be it. I think at the end of the day, you know, we are an international cricket team and we have to create a professional environment for these lads. And what's nice is they recognise that and they're quite proud of that, I think, now. But it's not dismissing cricket and where it's been and where it's come from and where it still is in a lot of places. And I quite like that. I like it. And, and what's nice is when lads come from county cricket up to senior cricket, they see and they feel a difference. You know, and not saying like it's better and bigger and better, but, you know, we should, it should feel professional. Um, because we're meant to be elite and we want to create an environment that allows them to be that while still allowing them to go back um, you know, and enjoy cricket and a custard cream and a bourbon biscuit if they want to. Just leads me on to the vexed subject of alcohol, uh, which I know you've got views on, Phil. So where does that fit into this? And, and you know, can you have a drink after you've won a game? Yeah, I, absolutely we do. I think, again, the journey... Uh, cricket's got... Uh, this fits into the history of cricket. I mean, years ago, we're talking... Um, pints on the table at, at lunchtime. I mean, yeah. you know, Bumble, Bumble on my virtual cricket club show recently said, first test, Lords, he made 46 uh, at lunch and he thought, I'm so happy with making 46 on my debut, not out. 
came off, had a had a beer, had a pint of lager at lunch, was out straight after. <laughs> I mean, well, I mean that supports us a little bit, yeah. but um, yeah, there, there was beers on the table at lunch. There was, um, I think I'm right in saying it was three days of play, one day rest, and then finish off with two. And I've heard the odd story that people may enjoy themselves, you know, <laughs> on, on that day four <laughs> off. Um, yeah, it, again, that's that's what we've come from. I think we've we've gone on a big journey with it um, with the guys, and again through education and choice. Um, and we're not we're, at no point have we ever said right, you're not allowed any. I mean, that's not going to work. It's absolutely not going to work. But it's the timing and the quantity of of that beer. And yeah, absolutely, you, you finish a test match, have a beer, guys. But if you have ten, it's going to start affecting the game, which happens because we play so much and back to back in three days time. And although it's quite hard to collect data on alcohol and the effects at international or professional sport level, there is the odd bit of information out there that has indirectly um, been collected um, and it's not published, not out there, so it's not technically official, but there is clear evidence and it's obvious, we all feel it. If you have X number of beers, you're still struggling three or four days later. That run you do two days later, even if you're just jogging around the park, you're feeling empty. Um, but I guess we're asking, we're, we're in a situation where these guys are gonna have to go out and repeat another 50K in front of 35,000 people with their jobs on the line and their reputations and it be expected to bowl 90 miles an hour, score hundreds and chase balls down to the boundary. So I think for education and, um, and I think what I mentioned earlier in terms of they've got themselves in a position now nutritionally and physically where they're proud of, their, of, of, the, of what they can do you also, when you start feeling good, and again, this goes for everyone out there, when you start feeling good and then you get put off kilter a little bit, you notice it more than if you're not that healthy and you have 10 beers anyway. If you're really healthy and you have two beers, you go, oof, that doesn't sit so well with me anymore. So the snowball effect fits into that as well, I believe. Um, and yeah, the guys have a beer at the end of the test match, but you know, we, they, we've been consistent, I think, now for a while of, they know what they're heading into and they know they want to perform and that's pretty much as far as it goes. Um, touch wood. Okay, so to finish, Ben Stokes is the new England Test captain. So, Emma, give us a sort of sense of what you would prescribe for him for a day's diet, uh, you know, at the beginning of a game, say, where you don't know whether he's going to bat or bowl. And, and you know, and how can that uh, selection of food be applicable to a club cricketer as well? Yeah. Yeah, and I think, Sam, it's not just for Ben. I mean, generally, as much as I kind of said earlier, we tailor it to whether they're batting, bowling, whatever they're doing. One thing that we guide them on that's pretty much the same for all of them is breakfast. So they would all eat, Ben or any all-rounder or a batter or a bowler, we have almost a minimum that we go, guys, this is the minimum amount without, you know, boring your listeners. And we give it them in body weight of, and they know what that looks like of what you should eat at breakfast. So kind of what I described earlier. And then what we would do is, once we know the toss, if we're fielding first, then we would manipulate the strategy. So, for example, you know, as an example, if we know that we're bowling first and Ben would be included in that, all our bowlers would have, as I said, our top-up, probably our wicket-keeper would as well. Um, so that's a smoothie or something, is it? Yeah, generally a smoothie. Um, some of them use, like, carbohydrate drinks. Um, just some way of getting carbohydrates them, simply. Some of them like to eat, some of them don't like to eat. I'm sure a lot of club cricketers would relate to that, that when you're about to go and run and try and bowl 90 miles an hour, 
having had another meal, it can be uncomfortable, which is why a lot of them prefer the fluid option of a smoothie. Um, and then we play it as per the game, how it goes. So, you know, hopefully you're bowling them out by end of day one, but if you're not, and we know we're gonna be bowling on day two, we, we have a strategy where we essentially, we have our 12th men run on a little igloo, which has top up things in there to keep their energy sustained. And it would be a, if you're bowling throughout that first morning spell, we top up again at 12, in their drinks bottle will be specific to what they need. Uh, then we have lunch and obviously some of them generally can eat, some of them can't eat, depending on where they are in the game. So again, we would manipulate based on that. And we just generally go through the day. And probably the biggest one is our recovery. Um, we have to play, we have to back up days of play. So as a recovery strategy, they would come off the field and they would have something straight away. And generally that's a shake of some description. So sometimes when they do medium, you might see them with a shaker and that will be often milk-based. So a milk-based um, recovery shake with, you know, we use protein powders and we put banana in there as well. They then will do media and other bits and pieces and then they'll eat at the ground a meal. So they'll eat again. And then if it's been a massive day and we're, put, and we're fielding again, we'll eat again. <laughs> so they have two meals. So they'll eat at the ground and then they'll eat back at the hotel or out or wherever they are. Um, and you'll probably be surprised to know we also make fast bowlers have something before bed. They have a glass of milk generally before bed just to top up again and recover. Um, which in a lot of sports is quite a consistent recovery strategy. If on the flip side we're batting, and we've not done anything that day, and hopefully we've, you know, we've got a pairing and they're making double hundreds or whatever, then we would remove certain aspects of that. So they wouldn't necessarily do the pre-bed. They may or they may not depend on the player. They wouldn't necessarily do a, a triple recovery. They might do a shake immediately and then a meal later on. Um, but we just tweak it based on who it is, what they're doing and where we are in the game. Um, as I said, test match cricket is very difficult. T20, our strategies are a lot more set because we know it's 20 overs and we know our bowlers are bowling four and we know our batters hopefully are batting a max of 20 overs. So you can be, as I said, it's a lot more linear. We can be a lot more specific. Whereas test cricket is a lot more, you have to educate the lads on what they need and when they need. But um, yeah, and, and then lastly, you know, linking back to your original, somebody like Ben hopefully will be batting and bowling. So therefore, they are probably our lads, along with our fast bowlers, who have the highest input in terms of energy because they're going to give them most on the output, all being well, if we're successful in the game. Well, hopefully he's not bowling very much, but, you know, hopefully he's mm. batting for a long period of time. Wow, so it's a real science. And a final question, where is this heading? What's, what's the next sort of innovation or development in, in this field? Going back to what I just said there, every sport has a different question posed in front of them. I think where we're at, um, I think is individualization. Um, we put some great basics in and um, we're doing some, some really good things, but whether it's, on, whether it's training um, or whether it's nutrition and whether it's recovery, it's individualizing those strategies. Um, so for example, in terms of, the, in terms of their training, I, I wouldn't run um, players exactly the same to get aerobically fitter. I wouldn't, I wouldn't train Dan Lawrence the same as I would Joe, Joe Root. They're, they're different, they're made up differently. Joe Root can, is, is aerobically, like a, he, just keep, he can keep going all day. Dan Lawrence is a speed man, he's your 100 meter guy. So knowing, working out where they sit on these continuums and how they respond best and differently, you can then individualize their training. 
And that's why you will see, hopefully you will see, um, there might be three, four, five guys on the field, but they're doing different things. And why is he running only 100 meters and doing something there while you know, he's doing laps and laps and laps? There's a reason for that. And I think we're starting to get there, starting to kind of unravel things from a training point of view. I think nutritionally, we're starting to, to get there and consider that and they're aware of that. I think recovery is one area that I think generally sports science is chasing in general and there'll be some big developments um, in, in years to come. So if we can individualize what's happening at that level for all players, then you'll, you'll see another leap forward. Um, Emma, if you had one, one food source that you sort of just say is an absolute banker, a dead cert, and one that's an absolute no-no, what are they? <laughs> Can I go quite broadly, because this applies to all levels of cricket, carbohydrates. So, so many meals in cricket do not focus on the key nutrient that it should. So, you know, if we look, as we said, historically, they're very high fat. They're quite high, you know, high in fat, essentially, um, and probably more protein based. When ironically, they need to be more carbohydrate based. So I'd say the absolute winner, you know, if for any, any cricketer is switch out your hash brown and sausage and bacon, for some toast or some a bowl of cereal or Weetabix or porridge or a banana, <laughs> like that in itself will make a difference. Um, absolute no goals. I think there's none. There's none that you know. I don't have any forbidden foods that nobody can eat. Um, but my advice would be pick your time to eat them and think about performance. What do I need to perform? As we said, you could say a beer, but is a beer going to help you perform optimally at, in the middle of a test match? Probably not, so pick it at the end of day five. Like, you know, that's how we work it, you know, in England. It's nothing's forbidden, but just think about what, when and where. I can't imagine that a lamb, a lamb curry would be ideal at lunch, really. It would sort of, it would sit in my stomach and just inhibit any movement, I would have thought. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And that's where, again, we're quite fortunate in the sense that you know, we, or I, sorry, will send a very short two-page document to our grounds that will say, please could we avoid these things at lunch? And it will often be, you're right, heavily spiced foods, heavy red meats, heavy cream, that kind of thing, that just generally for any person, regardless whether you sat at a desk or you're trying to run around a field, um, would make you feel sluggish and lethargic. Um, but, you know, one of the things that I love about cricket, and I'm sure the lads do, is we're fortunate. We get to travel all over the world and experience cuisines. And a lot of people assume that we don't eat that cuisine when we go away. We absolutely do. We just try and enjoy the experience of that cuisine, but tailor it to, as you know, so it might be that we ask them to swap that curry for a rice-based dish that day instead. Because, again, it's, it's better for what we need. Or... You know, we might ask them to tweak it slightly to be more orientated and put curry at the pulse match meal so we can enjoy it afterwards when they've stopped running around. Um, but yeah, it, it's one of the things that I love about cricket and we get to experience some amazing foods and, uh, you know, cultures and, you know, we get to see the world whilst doing it, which is amazing. Very interesting. Thank you. Um, I, I've learned a lot. It sounds as if Jack Russell, with his stewed Weetabix in milk for 15 minutes was on the right line. Absolutely. On the money. On the money. <laughs> so just to finish then, go on, tell us what would be a good daily diet for a player about to play a cricket match, maybe a club player, maybe a fast bowler, what would you prescribe? 
you know, for, for an average male cricketer, it could be, let's say they're a fast bowler, it could be two Weetabix with milk and a banana, and then let's say two slices of toast with scrambled egg and smoked salmon, as an example. Then we'll make it simple, we'll say before play, um, a, a banana. And then their lunch break, uh, you know, let's just pick an example of what our lads would eat. It might be, uh, you know, pasta with a chicken breast and vegetables, broccoli, as an example. Yeah. And then um, mid-afternoon or tea break, it might be, um, a, well, again, our lads would have something like a chicken wrap with um, a smoothie. And then it would be um, evening meal. And that would be, again, something along the lines of, say, salmon with stir-fry noodles and vegetables, you know, a pretty balanced meal. And then before bed, this is a key one, a glass of milk. If um, one of your early questions was, can you still enjoy food? That's yeah. a tasty day. Yeah. But that would be, yeah, that would be a pretty standard day for, you know, for anybody. Okay. Um, right. And would yeah. suffice. Well, I hope you found that interesting, listening to Emma Gardner, the England nutritionist, and Phil Scott, their main trainer, and uh, hearing about what they eat and what they shouldn't eat. And actually, it's reassuring to hear that they've probably still allowed a few treats now and then. It gives you an insight, actually, into what they might be eating in the Trent Bridge dressing room during the Test match, which is about to start England against New Zealand, the second test in Nottingham. Actually, I used to love the, the food at Nottingham, particularly these great big baps with cheese and ham stuffed in them for tea. I used to gorge on those. So I don't know if they're still allowed, but maybe they are. Anyway, that's it for this week. So my next guest is a lady who has invented something called the iGym. She's known, actually, as the iLady. She's someone who is totally reinventing the way people, athletes, sports players use their eyes in their respective disciplines. So I hope you'll join us for the next issue of The Bearers of Margins. Don't forget also back issues like my interview with Stephen Scully and the Irish Olympic runner and all the insights that somebody like that can give in terms of running and preparation and training and so on. And also the one before that was with John Gloucester, the lead trainer of the Rajasthan Royals in the IPL and him talking about sleep and the importance of it, and especially how to sleep better. Don't forget my other podcast as well, of course, The Analyst Inside Cricket, which provides a regular digest on all that's going on in the cricket world, and a daily update, a daily review of each day's play in England's test matches. Hope you can catch one of those. In the meantime, thanks for listening. Podcast Network. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.